Good morning. We are so glad that you could be with us at Central Church today. We're starting a new sermon series today called Soils. It's really taken from one of Jesus' most familiar parables in Matthew 13. Sometimes it's called the parable of the sower. Sometimes it's called the parable of the seeds. But sometimes it's called the parable of the soils. Because Jesus looks at four different types of soil in that parable. Pathway, rocky, thorny, good. Now, of course, we all want to be good soil, right? We all want to be top soil, best soil. Of course we do. But don't be surprised. Or maybe don't assume that you're the good soil. Now, I know you all look good. It's Sunday morning. You online, you all look good, I'm sure, sitting in your jammies, sitting on your couch. I'm sure you look good. But don't assume you're the top soil, good soil, best soil. You know, if, if, if you have... Uh, a shallow faith, if you've been uh, uh, blown by the things and the happenings and, and wavering in your faith, it's kind of the rocky soil. If you allowed other things, other, other things into your life other than Christ, if you are, are consumed with other things, that's kind of the classic definition of the thorny soil. The good soil, the good soil, the one that produces 160, 30 percent. That's the goal. Of course, that's the goal. And that's where we want you to get. Of course, that's where we want you to get. But Jesus says, listen, there's, there's some other soils out there. All right, if you have your Bible, we're going to look at this parable. It's a unique parable in that Jesus not only tells us the parable, but he also explains exactly what it is. So there's, there's no scratching your head. What did Jesus mean here? No, he gives us exactly what he means in this parable. All right, let's begin. Matthew chapter 13, verse 1. That same day... Let me stop right there. There's a lot been going on in Jesus' life this day. He's been healing people. He's been, uh, uh, he confronted the Pharisees. They called him the devil. His family shows up and to his family, he points out to the disciples and said, well, these are really my family, which probably didn't sit great, great with his family, right? So there's a lot of emotion going into this day. It's been a long day, a busy day. And the Bible says that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, large crowds gathered around him and he got into a boat and he sat in it and while the people stood at the shore. Then he told them many things in parable. A farmer went out to sow a seed and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered and they had no root. Other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, thirty times what had been sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Sixteen times Jesus uses that phrase at the end of a parable. He who has ears, let him hear. He's not thinking that some people don't have ears in the crowd. I don't know that Evander Holyfield, you know, is in the crowd. I don't think that's what he's referring to. He's saying that, that, that we need to use our ears. We don't always use our ears. I heard of one husband who gave his wife kind of an impromptu hearing test. She was sitting at the opposite side of the room with her back to him, and he thought that she was having some hearing problems, and so he stood at the back of the room, and he said, Honey, can you hear me? Nothing. He got a little closer. Honey, can you hear me? Nothing. He got a little closer. Honey, can you hear me? Nothing. Got right behind her, right behind her. Honey, can you hear me? For the fourth time, yes! 
Somebody else had the hearing problem. <laughs> what about you? Are you listening to the Lord? Have you heard him? Have you heard the Lord? What is God saying to you? Now, if you're really honest, there's some, there's some, some in here, some online, who would say, Pastor, I, I haven't heard from the Lord. I haven't heard from the Lord in a long time. There may even be some right in here, right in this room, if you're really honest, who would say, I have never heard from the Lord. Is that you? In fact, how about this? Let's stop in the middle of the sermon. Can we pray right now? I know we just prayed. Doc just prayed. Let's pray. Lord, there are some in this room, maybe some online, who would say it's been months, years, maybe never, that they've heard from you. And when I ask the question, what is God saying? They, they would say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, because I haven't heard from God. And so, Jesus, could you, could you speak so that we could hear? Could we be like little Samuel, Lord, in, in the Old Testament and, and just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let that be us. Let that be us right now. I pray, Lord, that you would speak and move like maybe never, like we've never, never, never heard before, whether we're at home or in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, it's on you. You've got to listen. So Jesus goes on to explain, he who has ears, let him hear. And, and this is what he says, uh, explaining, verse 18, explaining these, the parable. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed sown on the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, it only lasts a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed and fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but worries about his life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, and he produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what had been sown. This, it, Jesus is talking to a, a crowd that's very familiar with farming. It's a farming agricultural society. Of course, they knew farming. They knew how the farming worked. It wasn't like today. It wasn't like some huge, you know, mega farms with thousands of acres and, and combines and rototillers and all this stuff. It, it wasn't even like a family farm, really, that, that some families have. My grandfather, he had a farm. He worked at Ford Motor Company, but he had a farm, a big, a big garden, four acres. And he would grow vegetables uh, for, for my grandma and him, but also for our family, for my aunt's family, for my uncle's family. My grandma would sell, sell fruits and vegetables out by the stand, by the road. That was her going to Arizona money. But that's not, the, that's not farming in the first century. First century, uh, the farmers didn't even live on their, their property. They would live in the village. And they'd maybe have an acre, maybe two. 
And most, most farmers didn't have a donkey or an ox to plow their fields. You'd have to be fairly wealthy to have that. Most of them did it by hand. So a, a, an acre by hand, they'd have a wooden plow that they would by hand try to plow that field. And then they would, would plant the seeds. They'd have like a bag with seeds in it and they'd go through their acre of field and they'd just kind of toss the seeds out. And then they'd take that hand plow and they'd, they'd scratch a little dirt over the top. And they'd pray for rain. Not a lot of rain because if there was too much rain, then the seeds would wash away. So just a little bit of rain, enough rain that the, the roots could grow and the plants could grow and the crops could come. When Jesus says in this passage that you could be good soil that produces 160, 30%, all of that would have blown their mind because a good field really produced about 10% because it really wasn't a very efficient way of farming. So Jesus is saying, not only will it do what you normally use, it'll blow you away. 130, even the bottom, 160, even the bottom, 30% is still way better than what's going on right now. People, people, they understood what Jesus was talking about. And he says there's four types of soil that those seeds go on. The pathway, rocky, thorny, good. We're talking about the pathway today, the path soil. Let me ask you, how does the path become a path? Well, it becomes a path, you know. It's, it, it starts off just like all the other. So before anybody walks on that, that property, that land, it's just like all the other soil around it. It might be thorny, might be rocky, might be good. But people start traveling, they go from point A to point B, they walk down that path, and animals walk down that path, and they trample on it and go over it the same way, it's the shortest route, and they've seen others have walked there, and so others then follow, 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 and walk, 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 and trample, 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 and it gets hard, really hard. You've seen it, you know. And Jesus is saying, some folks are like that. I've known folks like that. They've been trampled on by life too. And people have walked all over them too. And it hasn't been hard. Through no fault of their own, the path, it has no fault of its own. It's just (laughs) ground, like all the other ground, but that's where people walked. I've known people through no fault of their own, through life circumstances, have been trampled on. Maybe it's it's because of uh, uh, bad parents, or no parents, or tragedy, or sickness. Maybe it's because of, of someone you've trusted has abused. Someone you, you thought you could believe in lied. It's been hard through no fault of your own. Sometimes we become a path because of just tragic life experiences. We could become hearted. You're a survivor. You've made it. You've survived this far, right? But your heart has become hardened. Some folks are like that. Some folks, some folks are hardened because of their own bad decisions, bad choices. I suppose you could, you could label Pharaoh in, in that case. You remember the Bible says that Pharaoh's heart was hard. Now some of you Bible scholars say, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And you're right. Exodus 9, 10, 11, 14, all those places, it says the Lord hardened uh, uh, Pharaoh's heart. But long before that, in Exodus chapter 8, remember Pharaoh... Pharaoh, Moses came to Pharaoh, said, let my people go. You know the story. And, Mo, and Pharaoh said, go fly a kite. And, and, and so God sent plagues to convince Pharaoh that, you know, Hebrew slaves isn't a great idea. And after the plague of frogs, it's in Exodus chapter 8, after the plague of frogs and after they went away, the Bible says this, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, the frogs were gone, he hardened his, he, he hardened his heart, not, not the Lord hardened his heart. 
he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. And then so the Lord sent a plague of gnats in verse 19, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen. And then God sent a plague of flies, so first frogs, then gnats, then flies, verse 32. But this time also Pharaoh, not God, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. It was Pharaoh's decision, Pharaoh's choice. Long before, before the Bible talks about the Lord hardening his heart, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. So people can have a heart that's hardened because of tragic life circumstances. Sometimes they can have a hardened heart because of, because of their own decisions and choices. Sometimes they can have a hardened heart. Remember, Jesus is telling the story after this long day of being confronted partly by the Pharisees, who you would also say had a hardened heart, right? They called Jesus the devil for crying out loud. Their hearts were hard. Their, their devotion, I think you could say it this way, they had misplaced devotion. They thought they were right. Jesus was wrong. Their hearts were hard. Or sometimes, sometimes, sometimes our hearts can be hard because of pride and arrogance. In Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is talking to Belshazzar about his dad, Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what he says. But when his, Nebuchadnezzar, when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride... He was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. So arrogance and pride can harden our heart. It happened to Saul. Remember King Saul? King Saul was so devoted to the Lord. King Saul was, was doing the right things. He was building altars to God in 1 Samuel 15, 14. But in just short, short order, really, in 1 Samuel 15, he moved from building altars to God to building monuments to himself. Saul forgot the why, why am I doing this? Saul forgot the who, who am I doing this for? It was all about him. So we can become hard from life experiences. We can become hard through, through just our own decisions. We can become hard through our misplaced devotions. We can become hard through pride and arrogance. We can become hard through just not listening in Ezekiel, God is speaking through Ezekiel and to Ezekiel, and he says this in chapter 3, verse 7. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you, to Ezekiel, because they're not willing to listen to me, God Almighty. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. They aren't listening. Maybe that's why Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. And I guess here... Here's the deal. It can happen to us. Your hearts, your hearts, your hearts, your hearts, your hearts can become hardened. Oh, pastor, my heart can't become hard. I'm not like, I'm not like Pharaoh for crying out loud. You know, God doesn't need to send any plagues my way. Although I have a plague of mosquitoes in my backyard. Do you? Oh, my. I'm not like Nebuchadnezzar. I'm not building a 90-foot statue to myself. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, like Saul. He was a goofball. I'm not like the children of Israel. I'm certainly not obstinate. I love Jesus. Okay, great. What about the disciples? Could you be like the disciples? In Mark chapter 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, right? After, after, after he fed 5,000 people, Jesus tells the disciples who just experienced this powerful miracle, Jesus tells the disciples that they have hard hearts. And then in Mark chapter 9, Jesus does another miracle. This is when he fed 4,000 people. Jesus fed 5,000 on one occasion, 4,000 on another occasion. And after he fed the 4,000, 
in Mark chapter 9, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and they're going across the lake and they have one loaf of bread. Again, remember, Jesus has fed 5,000 people, he's fed 4,000 people. Now they're in a boat with one little teeny loaf of bread and they're wondering how they're going to eat. Jesus has just fed 9,000 people with just a handful of food. And they're worried about Jesus feeding 13 people? Are you kidding me? This is what Jesus says. He hears all their discussion going on. And in, in verse 17, chapter 8 of Mark, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? They actually had one little loaf of bread. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have you become a pathway pe person? Do you have eyes but feel to see, ears but fear, 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 fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves and the 5,000 and so many baskets of pieces were picked up? What's wrong with you fellas? Don't you remember I fed 5,000 people, I fed 4,000 you don't think You don't think I could feed you for crying out loud? It's easier than you think to have a hard heart. Paul is, writes to his young apprentice, Timothy. He's giving, them, giving him tips and how to pastor and how to be uh, the man of God that he calls him to be. And in, and in 1 Timothy, chapter, or 2 Timothy 3, he gives a very distressing list. He says, says this, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. And this is what he, how he describes people. People will be lovers of themselves. I read uh, a, a report that said 15, a survey that said 15 to 20% of Americans are narcissists. Lovers of money. I didn't read a report on how many folks would be considered lovers of money, but my guess is it'd be higher than 15 to 20%, don't you think? Boastful. I've known Christians that have boasted about their own Christianity and spirituality. Proud, ironically, I've known people who have boasted about their humility. Abusive, you know, the, the reports of abuse coming out left and right. Disobedient to your parents, walk through high school. Ungrateful, except for the end of November. Unholy, I know this is a holiness church. We got a few candidates. Without love. Compassion is a fleeting, fleeting, fleeting virtue. Unforgiving, I've known folks who've claimed to be followers of Jesus, saints who said, I will never forgive my ex. I will never forgive, blah, blah, blah. Slanderous, <laughs> read some of my emails. <laughs> Without self-control, why do you think advertisers make so much money? Because we have no self-control. Buy this, it's the greatest thing ever. Honey, I gotta go to the store. Brutal, watch the evening news. Not lovers of good. I know plenty of people who are lovers of good for me, just not lovers of good for us. Treacherous, you know it. Rash, he's not talking about poison ivy. He's talking about us just doing wild things, unthoughtful, just go. Why do, you think, why do you think there's so many casino commercials? Aren't you sick of casino commercials? Ah! Conceited, lovers of pleasure. I shouldn't go here. You know, stadiums are going to be full today with people who are, you know, first Sunday of NFL football. 
And listen, I'm a Lions fan. I know, I know, I know, I know. You know, pity me. And 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 I get it. I get it. I you know. But don't let things, don't let sports, don't let stuff, don't let anything come before God Almighty. Don't let the fleeting pleasures of this world become before Jesus Christ. Now Paul doesn't say, Paul says these are in the last days. You judge for yourself whether these things are going on today or not. I don't, these are these days. And every single one of the things on this list will make your heart hard. Every single one. You don't think uh, lovers of themselves will make your heart hard? You don't think loving because of money will just make your heart hard? Ungrateful, unholy, looking for pleasure rather than looking? It'll make your heart hard. And it has eternal consequences. I was writing, I was writing a, a blog a couple weeks ago about a guy who is deconstructing his faith. That's kind of a new term people use for walking away from Jesus. Deconstructing my faith. And so I wrote a blog about reconstructing your deconstructed faith. And I, I, I got that in my head because I was listening to a podcast of a guy. He had been a pastor, megachurch pastor, best-selling author, the whole nine yards. And through a series of events, he lost his church, he lost his wife, and now he was walking away from Jesus. And he called that he was deconstructing his faith. And so, and, and while I was listening to it, I was deconstructing my uh, uh, landscaping wall by our shed that was falling over. Carla told me not to do it when she wasn't there because she said it was a two-person job and she knows she's much more handy than me. And I tried to be like super husband. She was gone for the day. And I thought, man, this will be great. I'll do this and she'll be so, so very proud of me. She'll think, wow, what a great husband. And so, so I decided I was going to reconstruct, deconstruct and reconstruct the landscaping wall by our shed. And so I got going and I started doing it and I'm listening to this podcast about this guy deconstructing his faith and I, I think I got more into the podcast than the wall and I, it was four tiers but I made it five tiers and I didn't realize that it was five tiers until I looked around and said, where's all the bricks? <laughs> I got like two-thirds of the way done. And it's like, I'm out of bricks. Carla was not happy with my project. Rob, I told you to wait. And so I'm listening to this guy. He's doing something much more serious than de deconstructing an, a wall and reconstructing a wall. He was deconstructing his life. He was, he was deconstructing Jesus. He was walking away. And it was sad. And, I've talk, and it seemed like, as I was listening to this guy, it seemed like he was trying to convince himself that he was happy that he was walking away from Jesus. But the whole time, I'm thinking, you're messed up, man. You're in denial. And, and I've talked to others who have gone through that same process, who have said they were deconstructing, or they may not have used that language, but they were walking away from Jesus. And it sounded to me like they were trying to convince themselves that they were happy. And I said, you know, you don't sound like you're happy. I am too happy. And I was like, oh, okay, you're happy, you're happy, you're happy, you're happy. It didn't sound like they were happy. So I write this blog about reconstructing, because that's what I, I'm a pastor, right? My job is to get folks to construct their faith or reconstruct their faith. That's what I do. And so, so I wrote this blog about reconstructing your deconstructed faith, and I got some people who had deconstructed their faith that were not happy with me for writing that blog, and they sent me little messages that had lots of words, most of them four letters, and 
Some of them three letters, you know, you're a dumb three-letter word. Some said, you know, you're a, you're, you're a sack of four-letter word. And others used even six-letter words that begins with a letter I don't even want to begin with. And they were all they're trying to convince me that they were happy. But the whole time I'm reading all of these four-letter words, I'm thinking, you're not happy. You're bitter. You're angry. But you're certainly not happy. You're, you're hardened. Don't, don't let your heart become hard. In Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews writes this. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Sounds to me like he's saying, don't deconstruct. Isn't that what he's saying right there? It's a perfect example. But, he's talking to the church, but encourage one another, that's you and me, we're to encourage one another daily, every single day, as long as it's called today, every single day, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I get it, I get it. Some of us have gone through life and it has been difficult and life has hardened us. You've been hurt or abused or lied to, someone you've trusted has broken that trust, I get it. But don't be a pathway person. If you're making a pot or if you're sculpting something, that clay has to be soft. If you just get a lump of old hard clay, you can't make it into any kind of pot. No, it needs to be soft. It needs to be able to be uh, uh, molded and shaped. And I think that's what the prophet Isaiah was talking about when, when he said, yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. My prayer for you is that you would allow yourself to be molded and shaped by Jesus. That you would not allow this old world or the stuff of this world or the things of this world to harden you, to trample you, to keep you in that hard, cold place. But rather, you would allow God Almighty to come and shape you. Melt me, make me soft. Mold me, fill me, use me. But it begins by melt me, make me soft, put me in your arms. The prophet, the prophet Ezekiel said, said this, quoting God, I will give you a heart, put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone that old hard heart and give you a heart of flesh.